Thank you, Jeff. The musicians, as you can see, we're getting ready for VBS to start tonight, so you'll be in prayer for that as the children show up and the workers. I know a lot of Kim and her crew have already been working, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do in the lives of the children. And pray as we share the gospel with the children and the older children have an opportunity to come to know Christ this week. You'll be in prayer about that. Take your Bibles this morning as we continue our study in the, in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 is where we'll begin this morning. And in this passage, John gives us a, uh, a warning about the world and, and about the world that we live in. And just to reset the context for a moment, uh, in our passages that we have studied, particularly in chapter 2, John has, has given us some good information. First of all, he said, we can know that we know God. Uh, I have people uh, fairly routinely who talk to me about the security of their faith and how do I know that I'm saved. And Well, John uh, gives us three things right here in this passage in chapter 2. He tells us that if we're saved, if we really have a, a saving relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us, he said there'll be this, uh, this inner natural desire to obey God. Not that we do that perfectly, not that anyone arrives in this life because we're not perfect it won't be until we get our new resurrection body. But the fact is, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, there should be a desire, a conviction in your heart to obey God. And if you're watching online or you're here this morning and you say, well, you know, I call myself a Christian, but I don't really have a desire to, to be what God's called me to be, you ought to check your relationship with Christ. So John said, we, we desire to obey God. Uh, secondly, he said, we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, there's a desire to walk like Jesus walked. And how did Jesus walk? In perfect obedience to the Father, perfect obedience to the will of God for his life. That's how we should live. We should say to God in prayer, Lord, I want to be whatever it is you want me to be. I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. Surrender to the will of God in your life. And thirdly, John said that uh, as we grow in this likeness of Christ, that we should learn how to love like Jesus. How did Jesus love? Unconditionally. He hung on the cross and asked God to forgive those who were crucifying him. I'm not sure I could do that, but Jesus did. He loved unconditionally. And, it's, and as we grow in our faith, so we learn to love that way as well. So if you're saved this morning, you should see the evidence of those things in your life to some degree, some, some level of those things in your life. And then last week, John really dealt with who we are in Christ. And I don't want to rehash all that we talked about last week, but the most important part of who John said we are in Christ is we're forgiven. You see, the foundation of the Christian faith is that we are forgiven of our sin because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus went to the cross and he died as payment for sin for the whole world. And so when we come to Christ and we confess our sin and we ask him to forgive us, he can and he can be just in doing it because the price of sin has been paid. I would ask you this morning, do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know that you've been forgiven? You see, the forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ of all of our sin sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. All the religions of the world, all the, the thousands of them, are all, are all based on human effort, on doing something good or earning some kind of level of, of righteousness before God. In Christianity, we have no righteousness. In Christianity, we simply come to Jesus as we are, the old gospel song, Just As I Am, and we ask for God's forgiveness, and he gives it based on what Jesus Christ said. And then Jesus places his righteousness on us, on our account, so that we are righteous before God the Father. The foundation of Christianity 
The beginning of all Christianity is saving faith in Jesus Christ. Without it, we don't have Christianity. And without having been saved by faith in Jesus, you may take the title of Christian, but that doesn't make it so. It is the forgiveness of sin. Now, this, this morning, as we move through chapter 2 and begin in verse 15, John gives us a warning. And it's a warning about, about living in this world. It's a warning about living the Christian life and the, and the system of influence that's in the world. There are two kingdoms present in the world today. Two kingdoms. You say, well, pastor, there are, there are kingdoms all around the world. No, not man-made kingdoms. But there are two spiritual kingdoms in the world today. And the first one is satanic. Satan uh, is the prince of the air, the Bible says. Now, Satan is hard at work in the world, and, and there is a satanic influence in the world to rebellion against God, to wickedness and sinfulness. Have you not noticed in our own society today that right has become wrong and wrong has become right? Satan is behind that. Satan is behind turning everything that God said on its ear. He resists God. In fact, listen, God is not the author of sin. James 1.14 said that sin begins in us in the rebelliousness of God's creatures, all induced by Satan. There is a satanic influence in the world today that's moving the world away from God. In fact, Jesus, when Jesus was teaching, the religious leaders of his day came to him, and Jesus said to this to them in John 8.44, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And he went on to say, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, Satan is hard at work in the world today, convincing men and women to rebel against God, to choose evil rather than righteousness, to reject his gift of grace, so the world is influenced by Satan. But there's another kingdom present in the world today, and it is the kingdom of Christ. Not in its fullness. The kingdom of Christ will be realized in its fullness when Jesus returns. But the kingdom of Christ is realized in the world today in the church, the universal church of Jesus Christ. You do realize that, that the church is not denominational. The church is relational. It's those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the church is worldwide. There are saved people all over the planet. And to save men and women, boys and girls, young people that exist in the kingdom of Christ, they are those who are saved by faith in Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ. One writer said this week, we should be, we should be visibly and drastically different from the kingdom of this world. Our lifestyles, the way we live, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we live should be drastically different from the world. In fact, the writer said this, to this day, Christians cannot escape the obligation to be different from the world. Why? Because two different kingdoms. If you're a child of God, you, you march in this life under the banner of Jesus Christ, not the world, not the flesh, not the things of this world. Now, with all that in mind, John gives us a warning about walking in this world. If you're saved, this passage is for us today to understand the Christian life Notice what he says in verses 15 to 17 of 1 John chapter 2. Now John said this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
Those are some pretty definitive statements, aren't they? There's not a lot of ambiguity there, not a lot of middle, middle ground. Let's understand what John says here. He says, do not love the world. Now let's think about that for a moment. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And then John said, oh, but don't love the world. You say, well, how do I reconcile that? I'm glad you came today because I'm going to help you. John speaks from a different perspective. Let me, let, me, let me give you the insight here. The word love here comes from agape, which is God's kind of love for us, which is unconditional. Agape love is a choosing kind of love. It means God chooses to love. In the word of agape, it means that God chooses to find his joy in loving us. He finds pleasure in loving us. He finds fulfillment in loving us. Not that he has to, but he takes joy in lavishing on us his divine grace. And so God chose to love us when we were unlovable. I would suggest even after we're saved, God chooses to love us when we are unlovable. What do you think? Uh, there are some days we're pretty unlovable, right? Perhaps more than lovable. But the fact is God loves us regardless. Why? Because he chooses to. He chooses to, to have his affection on us and find, and find joy in that. Now, the word world is cosmos. And it typically in the Bible has one of three contextual meanings. And that's why you have to read it in context. Number one, the word world can mean the physical universe. When God created, he created the physical universe. It's the world, the cosmos, uh, the universe. But secondly, it can also mean mankind. It can mean humanity. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What it means is God loved humanity. Now God loves creation. It's his creation, but he doesn't love it like he loves us. So in John 3.16, the word world means man. It means us. But there's a third application to cosmos that's used, and the Apostle Paul uses it this way a lot, to speak of the sinful, wicked world system that we live in, meaning that system dominated by satanic influence. That's the context that John is using it in here. John says this, basically. Do not, listen to me. He says, don't set your affections. Don't look to find your joy and fulfillment in the things of this world. That's what he's saying. Don't love the world. Don't love the world system. Don't have an affection or a passion for the things of this world. Why? Because we're supposed to be different. Because we're not citizens of this world. This is not where we, we exist here. We live here for a time, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, the command is don't do it. Do not. Sometimes when my kids were growing up, I would say to them, what do you not understand about don't? Do not. The connection. No, never. What do you don't Listen, God, John says the same thing here. God's word. Do not love the world. If you're a Christian, do not love the world. Now listen, lost people don't have an ability not to love the world. Lost men and women, that's all they know. And that's all we knew before we got saved. But you're a born-again child of the king. You are a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. So John says, look, don't choose the things of the world. Don't be connected to them. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus said, there's no room for God in the world. There's no room for him in the things of the world. We are to love God with all that we are with all of our strength and our vigor and our mind and our intellect, we're to love God. John's telling us here something very important. To love God and to love the world are mutually exclusive. You remember what that means from math, right? 
if you have two circles that overlap, there's an area in there that's the same for both. But if the circles don't touch, they're mutually exclusive, meaning the one has nothing to do with the other, meaning you can't have one and have the other. It's either or. You have this one or you have that one, but you don't have both. Do you understand that's the way it is with God and the world? We either love God or we love the world. There's no middle ground. There's no saying, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to put one foot in the world and I'm going to put one foot in the church. The Bible says you can't do that. In fact, listen, John said in verse 15, if anyone loves the world, what does it say? The love of the Father is not in him. If our passions and our, and our focus is worldly, then our passion and our focus can't be on Jesus. That's it. You say, well, can a Christian be unfocused? Absolutely. Can a really genuine, safe person lose focus on where they should be? See it all the time. You've probably experienced it in your life, okay? Yeah, we can lose focus, but it's just proof of the text. If my focus gets on worldly things and my, and my attraction and my energies and my time get focused on worldly things, then it, then it draws away from serving God. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Jesus himself said, you can't serve two people. You can't serve God and the world at the same time. Jesus went on to say, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and the material things of this world. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and lust. You can't serve God and the flesh. Anybody not understand what John's saying here? We have to pick is what I'm telling you. We have to choose. Now, God gave us this wonderful thing as human beings. He created us in his image, and he said, I'm going to give you some, some will to choose, to do right or to do wrong. And John is saying here, choose right, choose God. I can illustrate it. Have you ever noticed, and again, we may have experienced this in our own lives. Have you ever noticed that when a Christian begins to become carnal, and Paul speaks about carnal Christians in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. A carnal Christian is a person who's saved, but they've, they've moved away from, from living in the spirit. They're going back and living in the flesh in some ways. They're allowing their flesh to dominate their lives. Now remember, we can't gain or lose our salvation based on what we do or don't do, right? Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. So it is very possible that a person genuinely understands they need to be saved. And with a genuine faith, they pray and cry out to Jesus, confessing their sin and asking Jesus to save them. But then there should begin this spiritual process of growth. And our spiritual strength is based on how we grow in Christ, through reading his word, through studying and understanding. And there are baby Christians in the body of Christ who become overcome by the world. And when a Christian gets overcome by the world or their focus and their passions and their joy get connected to the world, there's a correlation as they live more in the flesh, they will live less in the spirit. And as they live more in the flesh, they will live less for Jesus. Meaning the more they get in the world, the less they'll be here. The more they get in the world, the less they'll be reading their Bible. The more they get in the world, the less they'll be testifying and telling people about Jesus. The more they get into the world, the less they'll be here to serve. And the things they used to do, they'll stop doing. And sometimes Christians will leave a church and the FBI can't find them. You don't know where they went. You're like, man, I thought, you know, I thought they loved Jesus. Well, they got in love with the world. And, and what did Jesus say? You can't serve the world and him at the same time. So we have to pick. We have to choose. God, the world's attractive, but you're more attractive. 
And the world promises so much, but you promise more. You see, he's the real deal. The world's fake. Satan's a liar. And Christians will, will move away from God. The thing you ought to take away from this is there's no middle ground. There's no, there's, no, there's no playing in the world and playing church at the same time. You think Christians play church? All the time. All the time. They come to church for various reasons. Makes them feel good. Put the check in the block. Did my religious thing for the week. No, Christianity is a, is a moment by moment, day by day. It's an all week thing. You have to be committed. You have to say to Jesus, Lord, I'm serving you. The flesh is weak, and I know it's attractive, and I know there's the draw to get out there and to achieve and to be the greatest and to reach heights and be famous and be rich and have all the stuff in the world, but it's all a lie. It's all fake. You see, when you commit to serving Jesus, there's reality, and there's real life, and there's joy in serving the Lord. So John said, look, don't, don't get out in the world. I'll tell you the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. They get into the world and they get a carnal attitude, and they move away from Jesus, and their passion becomes a world. And then you go say something to them, and you say, hey, why don't you come back? Why don't you confess and get right? And then they start blaming the church of being judgmental. Oh, you're judging me. No, Jesus already did that. I'm just here to tell you to come on back. I'm, you know, no, the Holy Spirit already did that. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the point is, when we get in the flesh, when we get in the flesh, that's not where you want to be. You want to be in the Spirit. You say, well, how do I get out of the flesh and get back in the spirit? Confession. Tell Jesus you're in the wrong place and you're sorry and ask him to forgive you. And then go back to where Jesus was. Listen, when we walk away from Jesus, he ain't the one that's moving. He's right where you left him. So just come back. Come back. Confess. Come back. Hey, this is a good time after COVID. Some of you watching me online have gotten comfortable watching from your cows drinking your coffee. Just being real. You need to get yourself dressed and come in here if you feel uncomfortable with it, okay? You need to come back and serve. We got vacation Bible school tonight. We got workers. We got people. Listen, we got people doing double duty because all the ministries that we were doing before COVID, we're doing them again now. And so we got people working themselves to death. You need to come serve Jesus. Come back and be in the flock. Now, John then says this, very interesting here. He gives us uh, some characteristics of what it looks like to be worldly the things that we're not supposed to love, okay? Look at verse 16. For all that's in the world, and he, and he gives three defining categories. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That again is definitive. John said these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God. It's of the world. That's where these things come from. So he said, be on guard against them. Well, what is it? Well, let's, let's think about those three, the lust of the flesh. And when you think of the lust of the flesh, the first thing you think about is immorality, sexuality. And it is that, but it's not all that. And that certainly is not all encompassing of it. When he says the lust of the flesh here, he's speaking of, of the flesh in relation to this evil, evil kingdom that's in the world. The flesh is a beachhead for sin. In World War II, there's a town on the Italian coast called Anzio. Anybody ever heard of it? I got to teach y'all some history, man. The, the, the allies put a beachhead on Anzio really for nothing more than to mess with the Germans because they knew it couldn't go anywhere, but they were hoping to go through past the Maggio line and get up toward Rome. Anyway, they put this beachhead there. What is a beachhead? 
It's a, it's, a, it's a place where you can get a foothold. It's a place where you can move stuff in and resources. It's a place where you can fight the battle from. And I'll tell you another thing. Some of the most fierce fighting at the end of World War II was around Angio when the Germans tried to drive them back into the ocean. And God bless the Allies, they just wouldn't go. I mean, they just dug themselves in and they just stayed there. Sin is like that. And what John is saying here, that the lust of the flesh is like that. The lust of the flesh, our, our sinful nature, our atomic nature, is like a beachhead. And you know as a Christian, man, you're, you get up in the morning, you do your devotion, you read the Bible, you have your prayer time, and you go out into the world, and what happens? Sin's looking for a beachhead, isn't it? It's looking for something in your flesh. It's looking for something to be attractive to you, a billboard, a commercial, something you're watching online. It's looking for a beachhead. And John said, listen, stay away from that. He said, it's, it's, a, it, it's the way that sin comes into life. He said, stay away from the lust of the flesh. It is speaking of the appetites of the flesh and those things that are susceptible to sin. Now you think, well, it's just these immoral things. Well, there's a Scottish scholar and preacher, William Barclay, that I really like reading behind. Uh, he, had a, he made a comment about the lust of the flesh, and I want to read it to you because I can't explain it any better than he did. So listen to what he said, and I quote, The lust of the flesh is to be gluttonous in eating habits, that one hurt right away. I mean, I, that, as soon as I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's really messing with me now. Okay, it's gluttonous in eating habits, it's soft in luxury, slavish in pleasure, lustful and lax in morals, selfish in the use of possessions, heedless of all the spiritual values and extravagant uh, in the gratification of material desires. The flesh desires is heedless of the commandments of God, the judgment of God, the standards of God, and the very existence of God. We need not think of this as a sin of gross sinners. Everyone who demands a pleasure which may be the ruin of someone else, anyone who has no respect for the personalities of other people and their gratification of personal desires, anyone who lives in the luxury while others live in want, anyone who has made a God of comfort and of ambition in any part of life is a servant of physical desires, end quote. Why is it these old guys could just crush you? I mean, they, you know, you read that and you think, oh my goodness gracious, he's spot on? That's the lust of the flesh. That's exactly what it is. Any area of our life, any area, doesn't matter what it is, a love for money, a love for fame, a love for, for uh, uh, pride and and people patting you on the back or us on, it's all of the flesh. John said, stay away from that. Stay away from that connection that draws us away from God. Then secondly, he said the lust of the eyes. Now the second aspect here is that, is that we lust after things that we see. And really the word for that is covetousness, which the Bible says don't do that. Don't covet things. And really it is desire for worldliness, and it could be money, it could be things, it could be fame, it could be uh, immorality. To look with the eyes, to desire what is not ours. And it's even a little, a little step further than that. It is to acquire things and to flaunt it. It's to acquire things and to express it in such a way so that it induces other people to look at it and go, oh, I wish I had that. So it isn't just us that, that lust in the eyes, but it is the desire to cause other people to lust for what we have. Uh, why, do, why do people become so, uh, so brazen about the way they do things to cause people to look at them and draw attention to themselves. Why? Because they want people to, to desire to be like them or, or to desire what they have. 
You can take that all the way down to the way men and women dress and, and want people to look at them or, or to desire them. The Bible says the lust of the eyes uh, is sin. And John said we stay away from that because that is so easy for us to fall trap into. There's a little children's song that said, be careful little eyes what you see. And man, that's very true. Be careful little eyes what you see, what you read, what you look at on the internet. Be careful little eyes what you spend time looking at and desiring because it's a, it's a fleshly sin. And then finally, he said, not only is it the, 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 the lust and the covetousness, but then he says the pride of life here. What is the pride of life? Well, the Greek word's an interesting word. Alizonia comes from a Greek play character, Alizon. Alizon was a character in a, in a Greek play that was prideful and arrogant, that was boastful. Uh, not only was he all those things in this Greek play, but he claimed credit for what was not his. In other words, he claimed to be rich when he was poor. He claimed to be wise when he wasn't wise. He claimed to be famous when nobody knew him. And he claimed all these great things for him, uh, which is where the word comes from, the pride of life. And really, the pride is the root of all sin because pride seeks to exalt self and often at the expense of other people. That's where gossip comes from. Why, do, why would a person gossip about somebody else? To make them look smaller and make themselves look bigger. So, so the pride of life is about pride. Pride is perhaps one of the most insidious sins. I would say that pride is the root of all sins. Why does a man or, or woman cheat on their spouse? Pride, I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. Why do people do the things that they do today? Pride, you can't tell me what to do. Pride is the root of all sin. The first sin in God's universe was pride. Satan, the created covering cherub, said, I will be like God. And God said, oh, no, you won't. God sent him out. Pride. Satan moves us with pride to desire things that are not ours. Do we not, are we not guilty of embellishing the stories to make ourselves look bigger? Trying to have more than our neighbor, you know, have the bigger car, the newer, the nicer, the bigger house. It's all pride. It's all selfishness. It's all tied together. Now, is there pride in the church? I see your head's moving. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Let me give you a couple of examples. Now, some people, I've had guys get on to me about this. Pastor, we celebrate. There's a fine line between celebrating and bragging. Okay, just telling you. Do we celebrate how many baptisms or do we walk around bragging about it? Just asking the question. It's the motives that matters. Do we, do we, do we celebrate how many lives we're touching in the ministry or are we bragging about it? Here's what I see sometimes. I go to pastoral gatherings. That means there's a bunch of preachers there. And they'll stand around talking. And sooner or later, it doesn't take long, one preacher will say to the other, how many of you got going to your church? How many of y'all baptized last year? Now, are we celebrating? Or are we comparing charts? Are we celebrating? Or are we comparing numbers? Are we celebrating? Or are we comparing my church is bigger than yours, so I must be better than you, and your church didn't baptize many, so y'all are sorry? You know, are we, is, that, is that what we're doing? Or are we, are we really? There's pride. There's pride. There's self-exaltation. And listen, here's the worst part of it. You ready? This is the worst part. It hurts the heart of God. When we brag about anything, 
we're taking credit for something God did. You say, oh, well, you know, I, I have this job and I'm to, I'm to this or I'm to that or I can run fast and I'm a football player, I'm a this, I'm a that, you know, and I'm the greatest. Be careful because God gave you all that, right? God gave you the ability to run like the wind or hit a baseball or catch a football or whatever, whatever it is you can do. Guess who gave you that skill? God did. You say, oh, I'm really smart. My IQ is really high, so I'm smarter than all y'all. You ain't smarter than God. He's the one who gave it to you. See, so when we brag, the pride of life, when we boast about anything, we're taking credit for what God did, which is a great sin because God gives us life. Hey, this will humble you. The air you're breathing right now belongs to God. If he took it away from you, you'd be dead, all right? The heartbeat, the whole blood thing moving around your body, yeah, all God's got to do is stop your heart for a couple seconds and you're going to be in big trouble, trust me. Listen, God gives life, and we shouldn't be boasting about anything. We shouldn't be bragging about anything. So the pride of life is very, very serious. Now, in our remaining time, let me show you the practical application of this. You say, boy, is this really, you know, is this whole, uh, you know, the flesh and lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life, is it really a serious matter? Well, it led to the downfall of humanity. Back in Genesis 3, 6, listen to this. It should come up on the board here. Listen. So when the woman, now you know the whole story, Eve's in the garden, Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he, he has this conversation with her. And her first mistake was to get into a conversation with him in the first place, but she did. He deceived her. Listen to what it says in verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. So she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband, and her, and he ate. Now think about that. What, what, what is connected in that? How about the lust of the flesh? She looked at the fruit on the tree that was forbidden, and what did she say to herself? That looks good. That's probably make me healthy. Isn't it funny how we justify our sin when we decide we're going to do it? It's okay if I do this because it's probably good for me. Well, it's not good for us if God said don't do it, right? That should end the discussion. If God said don't do it, then it isn't good for us. Don't do it. But she decided, I'm going to eat the fruit. So she took it because it looked like it was good to eat. Looks like this would be good for food. And then it says it was pleasant to the eyes. We just talked about that. The, the, the lust of the eyes, to look, to desire. So she desired this fruit because it looked good. And then this fruit is desirable to make one wise. What is that? That's pride, isn't it? You know what Satan said to Eve when he was talking to her? He said, hey, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. You'll be smart like him. You'll know what he knows. It was a lie. Yeah, you know what they figured out? They figured out sin the wrong way. They figured out death and the consequence of sin the wrong way. God would have given them wisdom. God would have given them knowledge as they grew. But she disobeyed and she wanted to be like God, pride. So she took of the fruit. And then ultimately, why does John say, choose to commit ourselves to God and love him and not the world? Verse 17, look at it. And the world is what? Passing away. The world's in the process of passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides how long? 
forever. Now watch this, listen, we'll close. There is, there is the world and the lust of it that's very attracted to the flesh, and we're drawn to it. To pick the world, though, is to pick that which is temporary, because the world's passing away. And there's pleasure in sin for a season, but what happens? It passes away. So for those who pick the world, they're picking a losing investment. They're investing in something that's going to perish. You see, the Bible says when Jesus comes back and he raptures his church and the tribulation runs its course and Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and he rules for a thousand years, at the end of that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new creation. This one's going to pass away and all things are going to become new. So to invest in this life only, to invest in this world only, is to invest in that which you can't keep. You could become the wealthiest person in the world, and I don't even know who that is now. Matter of fact, the wealthiest person in the world, last time I checked, has, has numbers behind the dollars that he's supposed to have, he or she, that I can't comprehend. I mean, there, it's just more money. You could have all that. If, if they gave it to you tomorrow, it's only good while you're here. And then it's all gone. But now watch this. If you pick the kingdom of God and you pick Jesus and you ask him to save you and you invest in living for Jesus, which is hard in this life, admit it. You invest in living for Jesus. Guess what you're doing? You are laying up treasures forever. You're investing in that which lasts forever. You lead somebody to Jesus. Guess what you just did? God used you to make an eternal change in somebody's life, and now they're going to heaven instead of hell. You just made an eternal investment. You come here tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and you invest in the lives of these children in VBS, and some of them get saved, or some of them get saved next year or the year after or the year after because of the verses you put in their hearts. Yeah, you made an eternal investment that will pay dividends forever and forever and forever. Invest in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of the world. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and we'll close with this, is Isaiah 45, 22. I quote all time. God said, look unto me, the ends of the world, and be saved. And he said, for I'm God, and there's nobody else. I like that. God himself, Jehovah God, said, I'm God. Listen, there ain't anybody else. So you have to make a decision today. If you're watching online, you have to make a decision. You're watching this video, you have to make a decision. Are you going to live for the world, which is temporary, and all that you could gain in the world in a lifetime, you're going to lose. It's going away. Or do you want to invest in the kingdom? You want to invest in Jesus, in his kingdom, which is forever. You understand, listen to me, you understand Jesus is coming back. And his kingdom is going to be forever. So can I encourage you today, make a wise choice. Choose Jesus. If you're not saved, get saved. If you're not saved, ask God to forgive you. Christianity begins with forgiveness of sin. Ask Jesus to save you today. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and how it calls us to live as Christians.
God, there might be somebody in this place today or watching online or will watch this video later. And God, they couldn't say with 100% assurance that if they died today, they're going to heaven. God, I pray for them right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move into their life and their heart and convict them. I pray, Father, that right now in this moment, they would just cry out to you and say, God, I know that I'm lost. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross to pay for my sin. God, all the faith that I have, I ask you to forgive me right now. Come into my heart and save me. Make me your child. And God, you will save all who ask. Father, if there's a Christian here today, and they're in the world, they're in carnality, Lord, they're living out in the world, investing in things that are going to perish. I pray, God, you would convict them and draw upon their heart and draw them back, Lord. They might confess and be like the prodigal son and climb out of the pig pen and come back to the home of the king and serve him. Move on our hearts, God. Any decision we need to make, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. I'll be down front. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse.